Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. That's the whole point of this entire episode is that everything that you've been told about how you are supposed to be supporting your body is wrong and it's inherently restricted. Hey friends and welcome back to Wholehearted Eating. We have another solo episode with Christina and I today, Dana here, and we wanted to talk about what is restriction. So about two, two, three months ago at this point, uh, we did a series of episodes on binge eating and overeating, and a lot of people told us that that was very helpful to them, right? Kind of redefining what is overeating and what is binge eating, right? And kind of getting a new perspective on that and wondering why, you know, if that's something that is reoccurrent in your life, like what might be a driving factor of that, right? So we wanted to do a little bit more of redefining things today. And we wanted to talk about restriction. What is restriction? What are the different types of restriction? Because you might think you know what restriction is, right? But everybody has a different definition. So we wanted to make sure we just are very clear with what we're talking about when we talk about restriction. And also, Why is it important, right? Like, why does it matter if you're still restricting in some way if you view that that isn't even a restriction to you or if you have a medically necessary restriction? For example, both of us has celiac disease. So uh, we're going to get into it today. It's going to be messy. It's probably going to be controversial a little bit. But what else do we do on this podcast? It's fine. (laughs) I mean, we've never shied away from, from bringing the heat. So I'm excited about this because this has been something that I've been noticing a lot in clients around them trying to define, like, am I restricting? I don't feel like I'm restricting. What's the perception that's around here? And we're going to dive into all of that. But I think one thing that's really important for people to notice or to realize when it comes to this is why does it matter (laughs) in the first place? What does it matter if I'm restricting or what might that be doing to my relationship with food or the relationship with my body or where it's coming from? And I think one of the things that's really important is that we may not think that we're being restrictive, right? But a lot of normal, in quotes, and healthy behaviors are inherently really restrictive. And that has a lot to do with the narrative that we've been listening to for over the years and the way that, you know, generations before us interacted with food, how food is presented to us as a culture, how we're supposed to interact with it. Then a lot of ways there is this dysmorphia around what is um, a an appropriate amount of food to be eating. And a lot of times we're not going into our meals with a clear mindset. We're going into our meals with a lot of influence around what it should look like, what it can be, what's healthy, what's not healthy. And this ultimately causes people to undereat 
and or undernourished. And there's a big difference between the two things, right? You can be undernourished and calorically, quote unquote, non-restrictive, and you can be undernourished and calorically unrestricted, I mean, and calorically restricted at the same time. And so there's a lot of things that that play a role in that, but that's what causes it. We go into our meal thinking that it's one influenced by a lot of different external beliefs or thoughts that we don't even know if they're true or not. And that then contributes to the worsening of our own health symptoms and our relationship with our food. So I can't think of a topic that's more relevant and more important to everyone who listens to our podcast because the question that I really think everyone need to be asking is what's influencing my plate? What's what am I bringing to every meal that I'm that I'm eating and what's influencing it and what might be restrictive or inherently restrictive or just a behavior that I have carried with me my entire life that I had no idea was actually contributing to me being undernourished or under eating or impacting my relationship with food. And one of the main reasons we wanted to tackle this now is because one of the main things that we want for our clients and for all of you is to have a more neutral relationship with food, right? We want it to be less complicated and we want you to have a higher quality of life in terms of your chronic health condition or your symptoms that you're dealing with, right? And this is where there's a lot of overlap and why this is important. Again, like Christina mentioned, is like any any kind of restriction could be pretty obviously, I would say, for most people, we can say like, yeah, restriction would contribute to a complicated relationship with food, right? Whether it's a medically necessary restriction or it's an elimination diet you've been following or whatever it is you followed from that magazine that you saw in sixth grade, right? Like it can come from everywhere. But even more relevant and what we see a lot of overlap with in our audience is we've got a complicated relationship with food and we've got these symptoms going on. And what if these forms of sneaky restriction that you've been engaging in, whether it's intentional or not, are contributing to a worsening of your health symptoms or preventing you from feeling better, right? So this is why we really want to dig in here today. And then tying it back to the episodes where we talked about overeating and binge eating and everything, if you related to those, any form of restriction can contribute to binge eating, right? So if you are still engaging with some kind of binging behaviors or you have binge tendencies or anything, there's still some form of restriction going on, whether or not you think you're actively restricting food, right? You could be under eating, you could be under nourishing, you could be engaging in, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different kinds of restriction later, more than the obvious ones that we would think of, oh, you're eating 1200 calories a day. Most people can identify that as restriction, but it depends on where you're coming from, right? So there's a lot of it depends in this episode. (laughs) There's a lot of like (laughs) disclaimers in this episode that we'll get into, right? But Going back to the point of, you know, any form of restriction can contribute to binge eating, it's not only food here, right? So when we're thinking about binge eating, it's something is missing, whether you're whether you are the person who is contributing to that missing. For example, I don't allow myself to have Oreos and I binge on Oreos, or it could be something <laughs> else in your life that's missing, right? So A lot of this is way beyond food as well. For most of this episode, we're going to be concentrating on the food aspect, but it's very broad. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it's complicated, right? And so I think really, you know, everyone lo- knows that I love to say this is an invitation to, <laughs> to look at what might be influencing your plate and whether or not restriction might be playing a role. And so in order to kind of get started, and now we've talked about a little bit about why it's so important, because it is influencing us in some ways. And whether or not we think it is or not, it can be. And so we want you to explore that. And that's what this episode's going to be. And as much as I would love to say, here's a very clear black and white things of like, this is restriction, this is not restriction. Unfortunately, guys, relationship with food is messy AF. And there is no, this is this, this is not. But I will say one thing that I believe is the opposite of restriction is where every food has the opportunity to fit and not in moderation. So there's no external dialogue or rules that are influencing or dictating the way you interact with food. And when we are non-restrictive, that includes a broad spectrum, nutrient-dense food plan that has no restriction on calories, macronutrients, or eliminating food groups. That's the best way that I can describe the opposite of restriction. And before everyone gets in a tizzy, we know there is a place for chronic health condition and chronic symptom management. And we're going to dive into that in this episode. And I think there's going to be a second episode (laughs) just about that. But I just wanted you guys to know that even if you have that, don't shut this off. Don't say this isn't for me because it is and it fits. So I just want you guys to think about that too. Right. And to keep in mind, right, this is coming from two practitioners who have celiac disease, right? We get it. (laughs) If anybody gets it, we get it, right? So the first thing that we want to dive into or the first like category of things is like, what do we consider restriction from a professional opinion as we've seen it in clinical practice, right? And before we get there, we want to give a disclaimer, right? In that, you know, in light of chronic health conditions and chronic symptom management and food sensitivities and everything like that is in our philosophy, not all forms of restriction are completely off limits, but restriction for a lot of the people who are listening to this episode is most likely inappropriate depending on the season of the life that you are in, right? Your relationship with food, your health history, your body image, chronic symptoms, disordered eating, chronic dieting, eating disorder, pregnancy, pre-pregnancy, postpartum, you're an athlete, you have an illness, you're recovering from surgery, so many different things, right? And if you, even if you have any of those things going on, right, and you're like, I can't currently eat this broad spectrum food plan that they are talking about, even so, if you are coming from a history of chronic dieting, yo-yo dieting, disordered relationship with food, yo-yo dieting on elimination diets, eating disorders, anything, still one of the first stages of healing your relationship with food is you have to go through working through the morality around food and the food rules that you have in order to be able to make a decision based on your internal cues rather than external rules or food shoulds. And if you are in that stage or any of these stages, please, 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 like we always say this, but we really mean it, work with a practitioner because it is so incredibly hard to do this by yourself. Yeah. Because it's hard to hear the difference, right? Like Dan and I are going to get into this more, but 
it's really hard if you're dealing with something like a chronic health issue or anything like this um, or symptom management or anything like that and you've di- you've dove down the rabbit hole of elimination protocols and things like that once you've once you've created a dialogue or an internal dialogue of oh I've understood that this is bad for this and this is okay for this and this is supportive you it's so difficult to even open up your mind to see it any differently and to think to not have that influencing the way that we're interacting with food from that point forward, which is why elimination protocols are so dangerous (laughs) in so many ways um, because it's really difficult because it immediately makes that food something that we feel like we have to take out because we've been told that it's not good. It might not be good for your body. It might not work for you. But we need to set the the tone and find the the reality around is this something that's influencing me and does my body actually not feel good about it or has morality taken over and now I don't believe it's good for me and that's influencing everything. And that takes time, a lot of work, and the support of someone who can help you really be able to tune in and distinguish the differences between the two things. So to give you a prime example, right, because we've said this how many times now, of celiac disease, right? (laughs) So for Christina and I, gluten is not a food that works well with our bodies because we have an autoimmune inflammatory reaction to any time we are exposed in any way to the proteins that are found in wheat, barley, or rye. That doesn't make gluten a morally bad food. It just means that it doesn't work for our body's unique constitution. But in order to be able to make that distinction, it takes a lot of mental heavy lifting, right? You have to work Mm -hmm. through that. I don't know about you, but I had a grieving process when I found out that I had celiac. So I was like, I'm never going to be able to eat pasta or bagels or pizza again. Like it was a whole thing, right? And then we'll get into this later as well. But when you get a diagnosis... Are you avoiding that food or are you thankful that you have to, quote unquote, avoid that food because you think it's a bad food? Mm. Are you trying to be a, quote, clean celiac person, right? We'll get it. We'll get into this later and, you know, what that means or like a clean (laughs) vegetarian or anything like that. But let's talk about restriction, right? So when we, the royal we, thinks about (laughs) restriction in general, Most people think of restriction as actively being on a limited diet or what they consider to be a limited caloric or macronutrient intake, right? They're being actively limited in some way. So to use an example, things are generally, things that are generally accepted as restrictive. The carnivore diet, where you literally only eat meats, right? Or the low FODMAP protocol, protocol, which is a very commonly distributed GI Mm -hmm. healing protocol, which eliminates most carbohydrates, right? Like every single fermentable carbohydrate is taken out on that diet in an attempt to reduce symptoms, right? And then something like eating less than 1,200 calories a day, right, is generally accepted as pretty restrictive. But here's the thing. Highly restrictive. (laughs) Right. Here's the thing, right, is this all depends on where you are coming from and what you perceive as restrictive, right? So, for example, some people think that just because they're eating, period, or eating regular meals, it means they're not restrictive, even if they're only eating celery, right? Even if they're only eating a couple of foods, they don't view that as restrictive because they're eating, right? 
Or let me speak a little more to my experience is a lot of people don't think that something like Whole30 is restrictive because there are no prescribed limits on how much you're allowed to eat in terms of calories or macronutrients even though you're cutting out entire food groups and you're not allowed to eat any sugar and you have to like read every single ingredient every single ingredient label ever and whatever but no snacks no snacks <laughs> I just thought of in The Incredibles when Edna Mode is like, no capes, <laughs> no snacks, <laughs> right? Because, and I wanted to bring this up specifically because this is something that some of my clients still struggle with, right? They don't think they're supposed to be eating snacks because Whole30 said you're not supposed to eat snacks unless you're pregnant, you're breastfeeding, or you're quote unquote an athlete. But there's no definition for what an athlete is. And most people who are regular gym people, even if they're going five, six times a week, don't identify as athletes, right? So this is a whole thing, right? Like, it's not restrictive, but no snacks and you can't eat all these food groups. Okay. Christina, you go next. <laughs> well, one thing that I wanted to draw attention to is the less than 1,200 calories one, too. I agree with everything you said about Whole30 and how that's restrictive and the perception of restriction and how that influences us. So I'm not arguing with that at all, taking it all in. But one thing I wanted to go back to that people are thinking that, that are doing now is one thing around the caloric restriction too is sometimes we think it's totally acceptable to be calorically restricting because we're doing a protocol like Weight Watchers or Noom and it's for a prescribed reason for a AKA losing weight, or we've been told by someone that it's okay for us to caloric restrict because we've been quote unquote overeating for a long time. And so even something like, I just want to put it out there that even something like 1900 calories or 2000 calories might actually be restrictive for you. And you might have this perception that it's not because it's been prescribed or you've been told that it's okay to do and that it's not you know, that it's too much and that you need to eat a little bit less. So I think also, too, you have to think about as well with when it comes to restriction is what is the what are we looking at to resolve here? Like, what is the purpose behind why we're getting involved in this this restriction or this caloric restriction or this protocol that we've been on? What are we trying to resolve? Are we trying to resolve weight are we trying to resolve a health condition? Are we trying to resolve quote-unquote inflammation? Whatever that means to people and what that looks like um, and why we got into it. And so I think that's important too for people to think about because sometimes they'll say, oh, well, I eat more than 1,200 calories, so I'm not restricting. Well, 1,500 calories can be restrictive. 1,600 calories can be restrictive. 1,900 calories can be restrictive. 2,000 calories can be restrictive. It really depends on your body and what we're trying to do and why we're limiting it. Why are we monitoring it to begin with? Why are we looking at the labels of things? Why are we looking at all this stuff? Why are we taking all of this into consideration when we're going to create our plate? And are we really giving all foods and all um, combinations of foods the opportunity to fit here? And if we're not, there is reason and thoughtfulness to dive deeper into it and to think this might be restrictive. Even if I don't identify with being restricted, even if I feel fed, even if I feel nourished, you might be having, like, um, be having, you might have gotten so used to eating a certain way that you don't realize 
that it's restrictive. You don't realize that you aren't getting enough or that you're undernourished in any way. You might be so used to waking up and not having your first meal until 2 o'clock that you don't realize that you've missed out on a lot of energy that your body needs and required and you're now working at under capacity. That's part of restriction too is am, is my body operating at under capacity and do I have the, the ability to detach from morality and detach from influences in order to answer the question, am I working with under capacity or not? You might not because it's so heavily influenced. And think about the physiological effects of restriction on the body, right? We're working under capacity. If you can think of the analogy of a fire, right? It's like, it's still burning, but like we're down to the embers, right? If you then suddenly start eating what you consider a non-restrictive amount and your body has been operating at this lower ember burning fire, you might actually feel like you're overeating or eating too much, even if you're still eating significantly less than your body needs, right? This is kind of like the mindfuck piece of it is, for example, if you've been eating extremely calorically restricted for, you know, a period of time and then you start to eat you know, we don't normally talk about numbers on this podcast, but I think it's necessary for these examples, right? So say you're eating less than a thousand calories a day, which would never recommend to anyone. Let's be clear about that, right? But this is the reality in the eating disorder realm and disordered eating sometimes and certain diets. God. But so let's say you've been eating that way for a while and then you start eating, again, one of these examples that we've said many people would consider as restrictive. Let's say you start eating 1,200 calories. You might feel excessively full on 1,200 calories, which most people will be like, how is that even possible? How could you possibly be full on 1,200 calories? But your body, again, has down-regulated, and it's used to eating the amount that you were eating before, which was significantly reduced from what your body needs. But now we're eating slightly more so it feels like you're overeating or it feels excessive or it feels like binge eating and stuff. Even when compared to, you know, the next person, you're still significantly under eating, right? So this is where we wanted to draw back to on it really depends where you're coming from, right? So for example, some people may think that eating 1,500 calories is you know, not restrictive if they only used to eat 1,200, right? And many people think that these numbers are healthy, right? Or like use, useful for weight maintenance because they feel like and they've been told by Noom, Weight Watchers, their doctors, like all this stuff that if they eat more than that, that must mean that they're going to gain weight and that they've also been told that gaining weight is unhealthy. Therefore, we start to think eating more than 1,200 calories a day or eating more than 1,500 calories a day is unhealthy, even though it is incredibly insufficient for anybody except toddlers, pretty much. I think my toddler eats more than that, <laughs> quite frankly. So I think another thing, too, that we haven't mentioned yet is um, being vegan or vegetarian, right? And I also want to make it really clear that I can fully support someone wanting to be vegetarian or vegan for ethical, sustainable reasons. 100% there's room for that. The 
thing that can be really murky is one, what is the influence here? What's influencing it? And am I being honest with myself about the influence, right? I think that's a really big piece of it too. Am I being honest with myself? Is there this part of me in the back of my mind that's saying, well, if I'm vegan, maybe I'll lose weight. Or if I'm vegetarian, maybe this this outcome will happen. You might have that going on. It doesn't mean that you can't go into it. It doesn't mean that you can't be vegetarian. But we have to think about what problem am I trying to resolve and what's influencing this decision? Is morality around food influencing this, this, this decision? Is morality around body sizes influencing this decision? Am I, what's influencing it from that perspective too? Am I, what's, is something influencing it that might not be accurate? That might be skewed. Is there a way that I can bring sustainability and ethical ethical um, food sources into my diet without being vegan or vegetarian? That's non a little bit less restrictive because restriction is really um, really difficult for me or really triggering for you if you have an eating disorder or disordered eating patterns or whatever it is. But I think being able to honestly evaluate where you're coming from what the perception that you're bringing in, what's influencing it, and what you're bringing to the table, like literally (laughs) what you're bringing to the table is really hard to distinguish. And I think that's the real question here is vegan and vegetarian can be inherently very restrictive, but they also don't have to be inherently restrictive either. And that comes through doing the work on untangling the morality and untangling what's influencing that. So I want to say, one, it can be there, but it also can be highly restrictive at the same time. Mm-hmm. So speaking of a protocol that is very restrictive, but can be very necessary for some people, right? Like the autoimmune protocol. Um If you don't know what this is, it's a derivative of paleo where you're cutting out all grains, eggs, nuts, nightshades, and all of the things that paleo cuts out. I might be forgetting some things as well. But here's the thing, right? If you, if your chronic health condition, if your autoimmune condition is so severe that the only way that you can have a semblance of a quality of life is if you eat this way, that's a different situation, right? Those people, most of the time, are not like, I'm just here for the weight loss, so I'm going to cut out all these foods, right? This type of protocol doesn't seem restrictive to people who are using it for severe symptom management, right? Because for a lot of those people, if they don't eat within these parameters, they do experience more freedom because they're not experiencing their symptoms, right? But even then, there still needs to be a lot of the mental heavy lifting done around, okay, these foods are not morally superior or these foods are not morally inferior. It's just this is a food that does not correspond well with my body and the way that I am made up, right? And there's a lot of heavy lifting to be done on the mental psychological side of that. There are also books written about this of basically making peace with the fact that you have to have these food restrictions or face the severe consequences, whether it's chronic hives or chronic pain or chronic fatigue or skin eruptions or GI issues or, you know, whatever it is. And we're not talking about like, I get bloating sometimes. It's way worse than that, right? (laughs) So that is this a similar situation, not exactly the same, but similar to celiac, right? And we don't need to drive this nail in any further. But this is just another situation where restriction is necessary, right? And 
There is another caveat here in uh, non-celiac gluten sensitivity and just gluten sensitivity in general, right? Like it really depends where you are on the spectrum of gluten tolerance, right? Whether or not you need to eliminate that food. And even if you do need to eliminate that food, again, if you need to eliminate any food, we do need to do the work of figuring out, do I still hold rules about this in the moral sense? Yeah, one thing that we had discussed prior to recording this episode was, is there a level of internal scorecard, right? Like for when you allow yourself or give yourself permission to eat whatever or whenever. And I think if you look at that and there's a scorecard and there's conditions that need to be met in order for there to be more flexibility within your diet and within your plate and what you're bringing to the table every day, I think that's a really good indication of, oh shit, (laughs) there might be some restriction here because that can tell you, and I think the level of which you give yourself permission and that internal conditions need to be met. Like, did I go to the gym today? Did I work out? Am I allowed to do this? Did I, was I really good during the week? So on the weekend I can be a little bit more flexible. Um, have I been having less symptom man- like symptom issues? So maybe I can be a little bit more flexible now or do something else. I think those are the things that we need to dive deeper into and look more at, okay, there is some internal scorecard conditions that I am requiring before I allow myself to be more open-minded when it comes to certain foods or to allow certain foods to fit in. Every food should have the opportunity to fit. Whether or not we're electing to eat that food is a completely different thing. And that requires that internal work, the heavy lifting that Dana's mentioned around understanding what is influencing me here to make this intentional choice. And you know, we love intentional eating. That's a big piece of the things that we talk about. But in order to get intentional, you have to unpack the morality. You have to unpack the dieting behaviors. You have to unpack the nutrition morality that you've placed on certain foods that you've learned throughout the years. And you have to neutralize them because otherwise you're not really being intentional. You might have the perception of being intentional, but if you dig a little bit deeper beneath the surface, there's other shit laying around there that's influencing the way you're doing it. So restriction is way broader than people think it is, (laughs) right? And one thing that can be helpful to think about is, like Kostrina mentioned before, what is the intention behind the restriction, right? Like why are we doing this, right? And always approaching this from a mindset of curiosity, non-judgment, right? Where are these rules coming from, right? Like if you've been doing a protocol for a super long time, Think back to why did I want to do this in the first place? You know, what is your deepest intention behind this? Because usually it's layered. It's not just one thing, right? So for example, do you think if you start to restrict something like caloric restriction, macronutrient restriction, removing a food group or a food, whatever it is, that it will lessen your symptoms and maybe a little bonus, you'll lose a little weight, right? That's the deeper piece, right? And we're not saying that that's a bad thing, right? We're just saying, let's be clear, right? Let's not bullshit our way around this, right? And the reason we want to bring this to light is because we commonly, we commonly use restriction and an attempt to try and, quote, fix something, right? So an easier question for you to answer might be, what are you trying to fix, 
right? With the low FODMAP diet that we talked about earlier, which is one of the most, or a very restricted one out there, you're trying to, you know, fix your GI symptoms. That makes a lot of sense, right? With Whole30, a lot of people are trying to, quote, fix their weight, right? It really depends on where we're coming from. And when we're going even deeper than this, right? What are we trying to, quote, fix? For a lot of people, it's body image or their weight, right? Maybe it's they're trying to fix their chronic symptoms. For a lot of people, it's especially around, you know, the holidays is we try to restrict because we're trying to fix the feeling of being out of control because at heart, a lot of us are perfectionists, right? So we're trying to get a handle back on whatever it is our weight, our health, our symptoms, whatever it is. We think, okay, if I just do this thing and I just do it perfectly, right? Insert restriction here, I'll fix it. But then it goes back to, like Christina was mentioning, in addition to that, do you have an internal scorecard, right? Or certain conditions that need to be met to allow yourself that permission to eat, right? These are kind of like, they go hand in hand, but they can also be opposites, right? We're trying to fix something and maybe we're trying to work on our relationship with food, but maybe you've been trying that, but you feel like, okay, but I can only really eat these things if fill in the blank. That is what we have called in the past, like conditional food freedom, right? And we have a bunch of episodes um, on this from spring 2021 that we will link in the show notes, but there are different types of conditional food neutrality or conditional food freedom, and we can go into those. Another thing that I just want to draw attention to that we've mentioned a couple of times, we've talked about weight throughout all of this, and then we've said chronic symptoms too. I think one question that you need to ask yourself also is, do I consider weight a symptom? Because I think if you think of weight as a symptom, you think, oh, well, that will happen as part of this because this is part of the problem, right? And I think one of the things that, and that can heavily influence our desire to engage in something. I know from my own personal health history that I have definitely looked at weight as a symptom and consider doing, I did the autoimmune protocol in the past thinking, oh, I must have an autoimmune disease because I've gained weight and I don't know why and I you know, eat a certain way and blah, blah. So there must be something going on. This is a symptom of something else because this is not how my body's supposed to be. This is a symptom of something else health-related that needs to be managed. So I think also, too, being honest with yourself around, am I looking at weight as a symptom and am I looking at this as maybe that will happen along the way, like Dana was mentioning, like underneath the surface, if you go into the iceberg, is weight loss part of the dangling, like ta-da, kind of thing that will happen at the end of this? And what's influencing that? And is it accurate? Right? Like that's one thing too to kind of think about also, is this real? Not to say, are my feelings real or your feelings real around it, but is the data really there? And where can we look at this? And where can we um, think of this a little bit different and a little bit more broad? So... I just wanted to bring attention to that too because I don't think that's very commonly mentioned. Like people tend to think of weight as like, oh, I'm intentionally trying to lose weight, but then we don't, we kind of forget that we have, for people who have chronic health conditions, um, we tend to tack weight as a symptom and we think of symptom management as part of, like weight as part of symptom management. So that can then influence whether or not you think it's working for you or not. And too. it can go like the other way as well, doesn't... right? Like, especially when we're coming from a traditional medical background, right? They think and they say, 
oh, if you just fix, quote, the weight, the symptoms will go away, which we know does not work, (laughs) right? And I also want to acknowledge, I don't know if you disagree with me here, I think weight, or not, I don't think, I know, weight can be a symptom, weight gain or weight loss can be a symptom of certain chronic health conditions, right? We're not saying that it can't, but I think what you mean there is like, are you saying, oh, I'm just going over, I'm just trying to manage my symptoms, but what you're really saying is, well, I'm saying I'm doing this for my symptoms, but I what I really want is just the weight loss that results from this. <laughs> yeah, I think yes. Well, one, I do I totally agree that weight can be a symptom, especially, you know, um in certain conditions. I'm not going to list them because I don't want people then identifying with them. Um, but we know what they are and I have done posts around this and sometimes it's not that. Maybe sometimes it's just the way your body is or other things that are influencing what's going on and how your body is moving through the world, or you're just changing and our body changes. Um, But one thing I will say too is it can be, yeah, sometimes I'm thinking about it like, oh, it's this dangling thing at the end of it, um, at the end of the road here that I want. And also too, I want to validate that it's okay to want that. We've been told all the time. Another thing too that Dana mentioned also is that we we are continuously bombarded with saying that weight is a contributing factor to all of our health conditions. And so it's only natural that you're going to think of weight as a symptom. It's only natural that you're going to think of it as the thing that needs to be resolved in order to do that. So therefore, in a lot of ways, if I'm being perfectly honest, If you're starting off with some kind of elimination thing and you're trying to do some kind of protocol for chronic health symptoms or whatever, I would be hard-pressed to find anyone who doesn't think that weight plays a role. And the only time I think that that is not as much the case is when weight isn't a contributing factor for them. Otherwise, I think it's playing a role whether you want it to or not, or how much you tell yourself, but if you dig down deep into your heart of hearts, (laughs) it's playing a role. And how could it not? We've been told over and over and over again that it plays such a big role. And so with that, naturally, that creates conditional food neutrality. That creates conditional food freedom for you because now you think, okay, in order to manage all of my symptoms and therefore my health altogether, that has to be part of the story. So restriction is going to be naturally inherent, like an, an inherently included in the way that you're you're going to approach that because restriction has been told as the only way in order to manage that. So then everything that you do, whether the way that we interact with exercise, the way that we interact with food, um, whether or not the way that we interact with our body. All of those things are then going to be influenced by, oh, I have this larger thing here that's going on, this weight that has to be managed because being smaller equals healthy and being larger means unhealthy. That is going into every single plate you put together. So to me, everybody's influenced by this. So everybody can have a level of restriction unless you've done, as Dana mentioned, the heavy lifting to get out of it. And even still, it might come up sometimes. Oh, hell yeah, it comes up. <laughs> if we're going to be honest, right? Hell yeah, it's going to come up. There's no way it's not going to come up. 
And sometimes that is the heavy lifting continued, right? Like it's still, you still have to flex the muscle. You still have to practice that. You still have to, because we're still living in this world, right? We're still living in a world that's obsessed with weight, that believes that weight is health, like um, weight determines our health and our health outcomes and our longevity in life. So it's only natural that it's going to rear its ugly head every now and again. Especially every come January. Back to you. <laughs> especially every January. And especially if you're someone who's in a body who might be perceived as, as larger than the quote-unquote norm or you don't have thin privilege, right? And I think that's really important. So for everyone who's listening with that, it is totally okay that you're going to have this influence. All we're saying is restrictions playing a role naturally and not to your fault it happens as an as a really unfortunate byproduct of the culture that we live in and therefore it makes a lot of sense why you would feel like i can't get to this like utopia that dana and christina are describing right of having (laughs) where every food has the opportunity to fit in regardless of moderation, regardless of any of this stuff, and you're eating a broad spectrum food plan, right? Because especially if you fall into any of these categories where it's like, well, I can only do that under these conditions, right? So for example, I can only allow myself to have these foods, quote, within reason, right? Or like only on the weekends. Or even if you're working through your food rules, let's go back to the Oreos example of like, I can only have the serving size on the box, right? Like I'm, I can have Oreos, but I can only have one, right? Or I can only have two, or I can only have whatever, right? And then tomorrow I can, I can have it tomorrow, but I can only have two, right? Now, granted, sometimes that is a stage or a tool that is used in recovery, right? But, big but, right? <laughs> is that in itself can also, again, it depends on where you're coming from, that is perceived as a form of restriction, right? I can only have two Oreos. Your brain's like, well, what do you mean we can only have two Oreos? What are you talking about? We're going to binge on those later because no, we don't do these rules, right? A very common one that I see being a coach for so long and being involved in like the gym people space, let's say, is exercise, right? Conditional food neutrality or conditional food freedom based on exercise. I can eat carbs or I can eat, you know, fill in the blank or I can go out to eat, but only if I've worked out, right? Or only if I've done this certain type of workout or only if I've worked out for X long or only if I've sweat, right? Because there's this very toxic, especially in the CrossFit community, there's this very toxic mentality that a workout, quote, only counts if you've sweat, which is some of the biggest horseshit that I've ever seen, just saying. But There's a lot of stuff to unpack here, right? So a lot of people find themselves, you know, if we're looking at the spectrum of disordered eating all the way to food neutrality, this is somewhere in the middle, right? Like you're working through this stuff. This doesn't mean that you're a failure, that you're still here. This is just a signal, again, that there's more layers to work through. If this was easy, everybody would have food neutrality. Mm -hmm. Not easy. Not easy. Another thing that we haven't mentioned yet that I think is important too is – And I think a really great example of this conditional food freedom is pregnancy. (sighs) 
a lot of people when they're pregnant, they allow themselves to kind of like, like, oh, I'm pregnant. So it's cool. Like I can do, I can do all these things or whatever, but it heavily influences your body image. It heavily influences the way that you interact with food. It heavily influences what happens after you're pregnant, right? Okay. I'm no longer pregnant. So now what? So now how do I have to interact with food or now I don't have that condition that's made it okay. And so now in rebound, I have to be really restrictive to get body back or whatever, which we're not going to dive too deep into this because I'm definitely going to do more episodes around this. But I just wanted to bring that up because that's a condition that I think a lot of people go through and they don't realize that it's playing a role in their conditional food freedom that heavily influences also their body image. I only allow myself to have certain foods if this is going on, if I'm having a good body image day, if this condition has been met, if et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm not having a good body image day, I'm going to lean more towards restrictive tendency. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to eat carbs. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to eat within certain windows. All of the things can happen. Another big one that people will say too is only if I maintain a certain weight. That's a really big one that people will say, well, well, I'll only allow myself to have these things because I can maintain this weight. But if I start to go beyond that weight, hoo, 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 I got to rein it in. I got to lock it up. How many times have I heard that before, right? Especially that happens so much in January. It's like, oh, I got to lock it up. It's like, okay, because you allowed yourself to have more because there's more foods available. There's more entertainment. There's more parties. There's more things. There's more all these other things. So naturally, your body's going to fluctuate. And then the minute we hit a weight that's outside of our comfort zone, it's got to tighten up. I got to hit the gym more. I have to do this food thing. That is food, conditional food freedom. Those are conditions. They're inherently restrictive because you're not listening to your to your body. You're listening to external rules and shoulds that are then influencing what you're allowed to do and how you're allowed to eat. And that's not, inherently not, letting all foods have the opportunity to fit. Period. It's not giving that availability. Right. So to bring it back to why this is important, right? Like it's pretty... Uh, simple to see that a lot of this is contributing to a very tumultuous, complicated relationship with food. But what we haven't talked about a ton, right, is like we've said this can contribute to your symptoms, but we haven't really talked about how, which we have a lot of different episodes on like how that happens. But just to reiterate, right, any type of restriction, physical, perceived, psychological, mental, whatever, activates your body's fight or flight nervous system. Most of us are already in chronic sympathetic overdrive, fight or flight all the time, right? This is just one more thing. The stress of food restriction, body image, relationship with food, all of this stuff is contributing to your stress bucket. The physiological process that is created by cortisol, which creates an inflammatory response and hormonal imbalances and all of this other stuff, that's what's making your symptoms worse, right? But we can't just go for the, oh, just tackle the inflammation and you'll fix it. Because no, what's causing the inflammation in the first place, right? Then maybe you fix the inflammation for a little bit, but then it just comes right back because you haven't addressed the root cause. And a lot of the root cause here is the stress that this restriction is causing you. This is why we're trying to draw attention to the fact that restriction is a lot sneakier than you think it is, right? Because even if you think you're not restricting, your body's nervous system might be activated, contributing to your symptoms and worsening your relationship with food. 
and then it requires more nutrient density, right? So that therefore requires more food. And if we're completely, <laughs> and if we're continuously not eating enough or restricting, then your body's not getting what it needs from a nutrient perspective, even if you think it is because you've been told from whatever fucking magazine you've been reading that it's that this is what you're allowed, this is what's good. Your body can be operating at a depleted state, even if you think you're eating enough. And if your body is operating at a depleted state from a nutrient depleted state because you require more nutrients than you think you do because you're in a stressed state, then everything happens as a cascade from there. That because your is body, a stressful situation on the body. <laughs> right? Because your body's going, oh, crap, I don't have enough food. I don't have enough nutrients to do all the things. I'm trying to put out all these fires, and I don't have enough nutrients in order to handle all these different fires. So I'm just going to try to give it as little as I can and restore as much as I can. And then, therefore, everything in your body starts to go crazy. Your body is operating in a restricted state. And when it's in a restricted state, it is naturally going to be going off in an inflamed alarm bell, <laughs> alarm bell state because it's not supposed to operate like that. It's supposed to operate with, oh, I'm getting all my things. And then it moves. And then it's like, oh, I got this fire. I got the shit for that. Boom. I'm going to handle it. Boom. I'm going to take it. Boom. Right? And so it, it, if you're not giving it enough, it doesn't have enough of the tools available to do its job. Which is why a lot of people who find themselves in this exact situation can find themselves binging a lot, right? Because if you think that you're eating enough, but you're not eating enough for your body's needs, which is a chronic stress on the body in itself, when your body is going through that stress process, you do need more nutrients, but it's not like you're like, oh, we're stressed, let's eat more, right? Because we need more nutrient density. That's not usually happening, right? So then your tank is even more depleted and your body's like, now we're even more stressed. And then as a last resort, your body's like, we're just gonna binge on all of these foods because we need more nutrients. You're, you're not giving it to us. So even if you think you're eating enough, this is one of the reasons why you might still be binging, right? It's the threat of future restriction. It's you are restricting even if you don't realize it. It's your body's in chronic stress and it is yelling at you that it needs more nutrients, but we're not getting them or we're not absorbing them, which is another situation. Mm, yeah, that's a whole other can of worms that we're not going to get into today. But I think it's really important too, is that there is so much, I think one thing that we have kind of weaved in throughout this is that there's the perception of restriction. And the way that our body perceives restriction is totally different than the way that we look at restriction. They, You might not identify with being restrictive because you allow yourself to eat certain foods that used to be off limits or limited to you, but your body can still perceive it and interpret it as restrictive. And I think that's a really big distinction that a lot of people don't realize that just because I don't see it this way doesn't mean that my body is not reacting to it that way. And so in a lot of ways, we have to take that to our, to our plate. What does my body need? What am I influencing it? Am I giving it everything that it needs? Am I letting morality drive this? Or am I listening to what's going on around me? What's, what are the circumstances going on? And what can I give to give more fuel? So my body can do its job. And most of the time, 
That's more broad-based, nutrient-dense foods with no caloric <laughs> restriction, no macronutrient restriction, where every food has the opportunity to fit. And we keep driving home that point because most people in our clinical experience, right, and personal experience and with everybody that we know, most people think that their bodies need way less than they actually do. How, do you, how could you possibly know that some number that my fitness pal spit out is adequate for you. And the other thing that kills me about this stuff, and this is a whole tangent that we could go off of, is your body, regardless of whether you identify as a male or a woman or what kind of body parts that you have, our bodies are acting and process nutrients seasonally, cyclically, right? Like a very easy example is the menstrual cycle for females, right? Your body processes nutrients at different rates throughout the month, right? If my fitness pal is spitting out one number, your body's changing every single day. That's not, and people will say, oh, well, it averages out. Really? So chronic under eating averages out? When? When you binge? (laughs) But another thing that I also want to make note of here too, as well, is for everyone that's listening, your body size does not determine any of this either and whether or not you are perceived as restriction restrictive or nutrient restricted or anything like that either I don't care what size you are you can be restrictive at the same time you can be nutriently depleted at the same time your body can be going through all of these things at the exact same time and that is still not an invitation to restrict that's an invitation to nourish That's the whole point of this entire episode is that everything that you've been told about how you are supposed to be supporting your body is wrong. (laughs) I mean, it's wrong and it's inherently restrictive. And the real answer to support your body so that you can feel like your best self, the real driving factor here is to nourish, to fuel to give it what it needs and to understand that and not have other driving factors like weight loss, shrinking your body, morality around food, to be interacting and influencing what you bring to your plate. The only driving factor should be how can I support my body so it can do its own job regardless of outside influence? How can I help my body? How can I give my body what it needs? How can I help figure out what my body needs? How can I honor my body? Instead of punishing it, like that's, those are the questions that you should be bringing to the table. And when you look in your refrigerator, how can I be honoring my body right now? How can I be supporting it? How can I give it what it needs? How can I allow all foods to have the opportunity to fit? How can I make sure that I'm getting enough? How can I shut off these external whatevers that I've been hearing all the time as Dan and I lovingly refer to as the nutrition jungle? How do I shut off all of that nonsense? And just tune in for a second and say, does my body need more? And what could I be providing it to give it some more support? And the answer is typically yes. <laughs> it needs more. <laughs> Drop the mic Ask and leave. The mics. <laughs> Drop the mic and bounce? 
oh my God. And we haven't even gotten into the, whether or not like how to be, how to figure out if something in your life needs to be inherently restrictive and that whether or not that might be appropriate. That's the like next episode. But we're going to talk about that in the next episode. Right now, that's what we want you to leave with. We want you to leave with what is the driving factor here in influencing how I'm bringing food to my plate? And can I shift that narrative? And what is it? I mean, I encourage everyone, and we talk about this a lot, is to literally write down every rule you've ever had about food and where you heard it. It is shocking what you'll come up with. This type of shit that's living in your mind, that's influencing the way you're eating and what you're doing, it is mind-boggling, all the stuff that's living there. Unload it. Yeah, unload it onto a piece of paper, and you will see... Wow, no wonder I'm so confused about what to eat. <laughs> no wonder my body's like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a two-parter, right? So we will continue this conversation in, for example, what if I have a chronic health condition, right? What are if I what if I have GI issues? What if I have celiac? What if I have diabetes? What if I have an autoimmune condition, right? How do we figure out if something that is inherently restrictive? might be appropriate for this season in my life, right? And again, it all comes down to intention. We're going to be doing a deep dive on that in the next episode. So if you have questions, shoot them our way. Hello at wholeheartedeating.com. You can find me on Instagram, Dana Monsies underscore CNS. You can find Christina, Christina Hort Nutrition. You can find our podcast at wholeheartedeatingpod if you want to message us there. Any of the places. And we know that this is a very messy, complicated topic. So please send us your questions because we will be happy to help you answer them as best we can. And it's okay if at the end of this episode, you're just standing there what? with your mouth open and kind of like, like <laughs> I don't know what to make of anything of this. And there's a little bit of a, you know, like a flatlining of like, uh, I don't know how to approach this. Um, it's okay. And Again, just go back to the beginning of what is the driving factor here and how can I provide my body with more support? Yeah. And if you are feeling that way, again, just think about it. Give yourself some time to digest this episode. Haha, <laughs> GI puns because we specialize in GI here, right? But come at it from a mindset of curiosity, right? Like where might restrictions still be playing a role in my life? And then if you need help, like one-on-one -on -one help, we're both taking new clients. Always reach out for support. Also, I just want to share too, because we don't really say this very much on our podcast, but if you like this episode or you feel like your friend would, would, would appreciate it or you want someone else to like dive deeper into it and like go through like the what the hell, I've just got my mind blown. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to take any of this. Share it with someone. Have a dialogue. Um, that always helps us help you even more. And so then you have that support too. So if you feel like sharing it, share it. And thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you. Always. Bye. One, two, three, stop. <laughs> Bye. One, two, three, stop recording. Bye.